0: Hello and thank you for joining us here on the Broncos Podcast Network. I'm Phil Willani, joined as always by Eric Dalala, back with another episode of Broncos Country Throwback. Today joining Jim Sakamano is Billy Van Huzen. Yeah, Phil, and Billy is a member of a Broncos top one hundred team that was selected last year. So kind of cool to get to talk to some of these guys who were named to that group. That uh, you know, unique, prestigious group that we selected last season. And Billy, of course, wide receiver and punter for the Broncos. So lots of stories to tell from his time playing here in the 60s and 70s. And with that, let's get to Jim Sakamano's conversation with Billy Van Heusen.
1: We are talking today with Billy Van Heusen, great Denver Broncos punter, and uh, a member of our top 100 team of uh, all-time history. And, you know, I've I've given a lot of thought to that, Billy, and you think, I wonder if we picked the right guy. I wonder if there's another putter we should have picked. And the answer, after even more research than I gave in the first place, is a resounding no. We picked the right guy. Um, Billy, you might be the most athletic putter, certainly the most athletic putter in Denver Broncos history. And... um I was reading the paper. A lot of good things have been said about Sam Martin, uh, who's our punter now. We got him from the Detroit Lions. Are you familiar with Sam at all, Billy? I,
2: you know, Jim, I I don't know much about him. I'll be honest with you. I, I've not paid a lot of attention uh, to the Lions in the last couple of years, um, so I so I'm really not too familiar with him.
1: Well, that's okay. Just to refresh uh, some of our fans who might be listening, Billy, you putted for nine years for the Denver Broncos. And uh, that was from uh, 68 to 76. Now, right. of all the, of the 48 putters who had at least 100 punts in that period of time, your gross average of 41.7 was seventh overall. And there were five times uh, in which you were in the top 10 in gross, uh, gross average. However, you were also the only one of those guys who was a significant position player during that same time. And in all-time Broncos history, you still are the all-time leader in average catch, average yards per catch with 20.5 on 82 catches. Did you realize that, Billy? Uh,
2: you know, Jim, I had been told, oh, a couple of years ago, someone mentioned that uh, a guy had sent me a card to be signed. And uh, he mentioned in his letter, that and I really wasn't aware of it. But then going back uh, to college at the University of Maryland, uh, it's interesting. I still have the longest average for catch in their history, and that's strange.
1: You know, that, that's really something. Sometimes uh, outstanding athletes—you uh, you play the game, you're not counting the game. Uh, somebody asked Babe Ruth once. Uh, you know, he had a homer, and they said, "Is that forty-seven or forty-eight, Babe?" And he said, "I don't know, but I'll hit him, and you count him."
2: <laughs> there you go. That's, that's the way to do it. So, uh,
1: Billy, uh you,
2: yeah, go ahead. Yeah. It's just, you know, statistics, uh, they're, they're great measuring sticks, I guess, for some people, but I think, um, it's just like the, the average, um, you know, yardage on punts and, and so on. And in our day, you know, we, we did a lot more directional type kicking than they do now and a lot of times you know you're on the 40 yard line and you're trying to kick the ball out on the 10 yard line so you don't right. you're not looking at, you're not looking at kicking a 50 yard punt you're trying to you're trying to punt it down there and pin the other team back so your defense has a better chance and i you know i think yeah. that's kind of a statistic that gets lost you know i remember one year Ray Guy and uh, Gerald Wilson and i all were within i think 3 tenths of a yard of each other and and average per punt. But then when you go back and look at the number of punts that were kicked out out of bounds inside the 20, um, I think there was a, a pretty good difference. I think that I was ahead in that category, um, significantly. Um, uh, and Gerald was second, but Ray guy was such, you know, a boomer. Um, it would just, he'd just kick it into the end zone. and wouldn't worry about. It, so,
1: yeah, I, I think, uh, Quite honestly, I think Gerald Wilson could uh, have gone to the Hall of Fame ahead of Ray Guy, but uh, what the heck? Uh, life is never perfect. Sam Martin, the current punter for the Broncos, the coaches are working with him a lot, uh, special teams coach Tom McN- McMahon on uh, directional kicking. I think that I've talked to Sam uh, quite a bit, and I think that's one of his best things. So hopefully that works out real well for him and the Broncos.
2: Yeah, I, it's, it's so important. You know, we used to bring, uh, they used to bring out the uh, traffic cones. And we put the cone on the goal line and then the 10 yard line or the 15 and then, um, stand, you know, whether we're on the same side of the field as the punting, you know, on the, on that hash mark or the opposite hash mark, uh, typically you wouldn't try to kick out of bounds across the field. You'd always go to the side of the hash mark. And, Mm -hmm. uh, we'd set up these cones and it was, it was fun. Merle Moore and I would have, you know, uh, we bet how many times I could get it inside a certain certain yard line, and it really made it
1: fun. But really,
2: it counted in the games. It was a big help.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. You say it was fun. It was fun because you could do it, Billy. It <laughs> wouldn't be as much fun if a guy couldn't do it. Now, you know, you, you really you're a New York kid. You you went to the University of Maryland. I'm sure you had a lot of offers and so forth. But uh, you were a free agent with the Broncos. Played nine yeah. years. Tell us how um, you know. Lou Saban had been your coach at Maryland, and then also with the Broncos. Tell us how you wound up coming here.
2: Well, that's it's an interesting story. I had um, been told, and had letters from the Cowboys. Um, let's see, I had the Cowboys, the Lions, a couple other teams had expressed an interest, and it indicated they were going to um, be drafting me, and. So after my senior year at Maryland, I had a cartilage that was floating in my knee. I went and had it removed. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) those guys weren't interested anymore. So right after the draft, um, I got a call from a couple of teams, but Lou Saban called. And having played for him at Maryland, I got to know him really well. And uh, He asked if I want to come out and take a shot as a free agent. And he and Sam Ritigliano, you probably remember Sam. Um, -hmm. oh yeah. Yeah. So he was our receiver coach at Maryland that one year. And, um, when Lou brought the whole staff really from the university of Maryland out to Denver, uh, when he decided to come back into the professional ranks, uh, he had, as you know, been at Buffalo and been very successful and wanted to, when he came to Maryland, he was basically told that, um, the athletic director, Bill Colby, Kobe, told him that um, he would be interested in moving uh, Maryland out of the Atlantic Coast Conference in football and starting their own conference with uh, independent teams like Penn State, Army, and Navy, Florida State. There were a number of schools that were independent at that time. And when we were flying down to play the last game of the year against Florida State, uh Bill Kobe was sitting up front with coach Saban and they were having a discussion and then uh all of a sudden it it became an argument and uh none of us knew what that was about and um during that game uh the Florida State game uh, I heard Lou tell coach Retakiano to come on down to the sidelines at the end of the third quarter he said uh, get yourself a hot dog and a drink and come on down to the sidelines we're heading to Denver and I thought to myself, <laughs> what is he talking about? So that was uh, that was the first we heard of it. But um, what happened was that Kobe had told him on the plane that, that he could not get Maryland uh, into independent status, so he had to stay in the Atlantic Coast Conference, and that did it for Lou. He was
1: done. Yeah. Now, so, didn't you tell me once that when Lou was leaving Maryland, he actually yeah. told you that, you know, something like our paths might cross again or I might be he giving said, you, you a never, call or something.
2: Yeah, he said, you, he said, Billy, he said, you keep working hard um, and you never know what the future might bring, quote unquote.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, and so then when he called, uh, he just said, uh, Billy is coach. And, of course, you know, he recognize his voice. I said, how are you doing, coach? He said, listen, um, well, I would love for you to come out to Denver. Um, see if see if we can uh, add you to the team if you're interested in trying it out. And I said, Well I'm absolutely interested. Um I'll just he said there were a couple other teams that were interested in signing me as a free agent, but he had already said he had already talked to them and uh he thought I would be the best, you know, his team would be the Bronx would be the best bet for me. And it's
1: interceded.
2: You know. It worked yeah. out great. Yeah. And all oh, these this, years
1: later you still how come you stayed here, Billy? You know, you're an East Coast uh, guy. Really, you for so long you were. How come you stayed in Denver?
2: I just you know, Jim, this this Denver community, especially when I came out here in sixty eight, it was a much smaller community, but the people here are great. You know, the just the whole environment. I love the mountains. I loved all the people in Denver. I've always um just loved being here. And the one thing I would say that, that I miss is being close to the ocean because we we grew up right on what what's called the long island sound and that's uh you know a body of water that's that's really long island separates um the atlantic ocean from the long island sound and it butts up to westchester new york and so you know we used to we used to go to jones beach in long island oh, and yeah. the waves. Mm-hmm. you know how we, we'd ride those waves it was great but um that's the only thing I really miss, but the mountains certainly make up for that.
1: Now, you know, Billy, you putted 574 times for the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Do you have any idea how many times you had a kick blocked?
2: Um, you know, I don't know, Jim. I know Philadelphia got one, uh, let's say, four times.
1: I don't know. One time. One time. You, okay. Well, you had exactly as many kicks blocked as a professional. As when you ran out of punting formation, which you did a bunch of times, you ran a heck of a long ways and you scored a touchdown on one. How long was that? (laughs) Oh gosh, that was I
2: think sixty, well sixty-three yards, something like that. It was against Houston. I'll tell you the story on that if if you got a moment. The uh,
1: (laughs) we got all the moments you want, Billy.
2: Yes, sir. Well, we're we're uh, we're winning that game by three points. We're, We're playing Houston in Denver and um, we're punting. I think the ball was on about the 27 yard line, something like that, getting ready to punt and John Ralston calls timeout and go over to the sideline. I think there was less than two minutes left in the game or maybe just two minutes and go over to the sideline. And coach Ralston says, uh, "Yeah, maybe, what do you think about faking this punt tomorrow more? the special teams coach. And Merle said, um, well, why do you want to do that? And he said, well, if they block it or if right, or if, if we shank it, they might be able to make a fair catch and have a free kick for a, a field goal to tie the game. And so Merle looked at me, you know, and we both kind of shook our head like, really? And so he says, yeah, let's, uh, I think we ought to run the fake. That'll run some time off the clock anyway. So that's, that's how it, uh, it transpired. And I walked, we we were on timeout and I ran over, uh, into the huddle for a second. And I looked at Mike Simone, if you remember Mike. Oh yeah. I, I said, listen, if we fake this punt and go left, can you get your guy hooked? He said, I got him hooked. He's going inside all the time. And then I talked to Fran Lynch on the other side, Fran, if, if we go right, you've got your guy hooked. He goes, well, he's, he's sometimes going in and sometimes going out. I said, okay, let's go left. I went back and told Merle. And so we, we called a fake punt run left and it went for a touchdown. That's
1: what <laughs> so we good. ran the clock out. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. I was in the stands watching it then. And uh, that was, that was very cool. Uh, you had a lot of great moments and uh, you know, again, I know you self deprecated about some of this, but 82 catches for a 20.5 average, this is the real deal. And that's why you're, uh, you know, you, you, uh, you compare compared a little bit to like Bobby Joe Green, uh, who was a running back uh, and, a, and a putter. He played 14 years. Bobby Joe had like 10 carries in his whole career. Career, yeah. I mean, exactly. he's a running back, but literally, actually, you carried the ball 13 times from putt board man. <laughs> You carried the ball more times than Bobby Joe Green carried it as a running back.
2: Yeah, no, I got, a, I think I got one out of uh field goal, too, fake field goal. I ran, uh, I think, one, maybe two on those. I was, uh, I would back up Charlie Johnson as a holder. And once in a while, they'd sneak me in there and uh, we'd hold. And then we took off on one and threw it, and we took off on one and ran it for the
1: first down. And you know, I remember you pa- you passed, uh, I think you passed like five times, completed two. So was that a field goal formation?
2: Uh, one of those, I think, was field goal. The other one was uh, punt formation.
1: Got it. Got it.
2: Yep. Well, Billy, yep.
1: you uh, you had quite a career. And um, I think there's a no, there's a noble ending to it beyond the scope that anybody knows about. Most guys kick or play forever and ever as long as they can and their career ends. But then some guys occasionally are maybe involved in something, and when it's over, they don't get to play anymore. Yep. And, Billy, this is a time kind of like of a lot of social movements and so forth, but you made a sacrifice that almost no athlete in history has ever made. I, I I can explain it, but I think it's better if you explain it. There was the era of the Dirty Dozen but a lot of those yeah. guys ran for cover when the shooting stopped when, oh, yeah. and Billy Van Houston did not run for cover. You stood up and, and took the bullet that you never kicked again. You want to explain that? Yeah. Well,
2: I, I don't know if a lot of people listening will remember it, but you know, at the end of John Ralston's five years here, um, it was announced in the locker room to us at San Diego, the last game of the season, uh, Mr. Phipps came in and made the announcement he was going to give John Ralston another five years on his contract and as a team, we had uh, from my perspective and a lot of the guys on the team, we realized that John Ralston wasn't the answer. We knew that we had some incredible talent, really good football players, and really were on kind of the on track to make it for the playoffs for the first time, and we felt that the coach Ralston just couldn't get that job done. So, uh, as as one of the older guys on the team, maybe yeah, might have been the oldest, but I was one of the older guys on the team. And and when they announced that before the game against San Diego, I believe we were about a ten or twelve point favorite. We got shut out because the air went zip, out. Yeah, the yeah. air, <laughs> no air ever Locking, left the locker faster. Yeah, yeah, it was it was crazy. And, uh, so I went in and talked to Mr. Phipps, uh, called him and went in and talked to him. And I said, you're making a big mistake. And other players did too. And that's where you get the dirty dozen. Um, uh, there were a bunch of guys, um, uh, Al Zato, Tom Jackson, I believe Billy Thompson, Louis Wright. There were a lot of guys that, that expressed to Mr. Phipps that that just, you know, they shouldn't have done that. So when the, um, Ralston was coaching in Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl. He was named as the coach for one of the teams there. And um, Mr. Phipps said to us, well, uh, I'll consider this or something like this, but he never did anything to follow it up. So that's when we, um, the group, the Dirty Dozen, if you will, called a press conference. And Down at, I think it was a Hilton Hotel on Colorado Boulevard. I remember, yes. Yeah, just we just wanted to make the statement. We did not back up the decision of Mr. Phipps that we felt like John Rawlson had done everything he could do, um, that we just needed to make a change. The team just didn't have the confidence in him. And when Mr. Phipps got wind of that, he came to the Hilton and said he would be in touch with uh Ralston at the senior bowl and that he would talk to him and have a meeting with him when he got back to Denver and we had basically a you know a kind of a press release put together and so he said so I don't really want much of this to get out I only this to get out until I talked to Ralston right and so yeah and so at that point um after that meeting a number of the guys, including me, gave the press statement to different reporters. I gave it to Woody Page. And I said, you know, I don't don't know if you should release this. We find out what uh, Mr. Phipps works out with Ralston, but it should definitely get released. At which time, uh, Woody, being Woody, went and released it right away. And that, yeah.
1: that's where I got,
2: yeah that's yeah. That's that where was it tough. got
1: nailed yeah cause because then some, some guys were not that good you were good enough to kick for a number of years yet but when somebody fairly or not has a stigma attached to them that was it well, well yeah I um, you know to
2: further the story when um, Ralston came back Phipps, Phipps said to me well if you and your guys had any whatever uh, courage let's say courage you would go out uh, to talk to Ralston personally at the Bronco headquarters. I said, that's no problem. I'm happy to do that. And so I went out to the headquarters. Um, In fact, I called a number of the guys to say, listen, Mr. Phipps called, said we should go out there and meet Ralston and and talk to him personally. And none of them would go. And so I said, I'm going. And I went out anyway and uh, met him. And, of course, I, I don't know who tipped off. KOA and and a couple of the stations, but there was a, a guy out, one of the, at least one cameraman out there, um, kind of filming the whole situation or doing a live deal. I don't remember the reporter. And I met Ralston alone. And uh, uh he, yeah, no, I, I listen, uh, I figured you got to stand up. If you believe it, you stand up for it. So I went in there and, and listened to John Ralston essentially beg for me to talk to the guys and withdraw the statement and the feeling that we've expressed. And I said, I can't do that. I said, we've, you know, we expressed what we felt. I have expressed what I've felt, and I just can't do that. And he basically begged me not, you know, to please don't, don't make the release. I said, I can't do it. And so when I left his office, he followed me out. And uh, unbelievably, waiting until we got to the front door where the cameraman was. Then he walks up and gives me a big hug. He's he's telling me, Beautiful. you know, yes, yeah, so everybody can <laughs> I mean, hear it. Thanks for coming by, Billy. Well, wait a minute. I'm trying to push him away. I, yeah, I yeah. didn't want to be hugged, you know. I wasn't there to make friends. And uh, That was
1: oh, unbelievable. Yeah. But yeah. but as I recall, Phipps did, Mr. Phipps gives Ralston the choice that you've got so much on your plate, you can either be the coach or the GM. So he says, I want a coach. So he's the coach. So Mr. Fifth makes Fred Gertie, John's former assistant, John's boss. But then Fred calls all you guys in to just meet with you as the new GM. Basically, you all tell him the same thing, and we make a move. Yep. So,
2: yeah, and and the crazy part, I I guess the crazy part about that, um, for me, the thing that was probably most discouraging was how, everybody fell out of the ranks, you know, they were all gung-ho and we're going to do this, we're going to do this. And everybody realized that, you know, we needed to make a change. But as you said, when it when it got down to the final moment, um, kind of, I, I was left hanging out there alone. And, yeah,
1: that was a very courageous thing, Billy.
2: Well, I'll tell you the probably the most disappointing thing um, for me, other than the guys that, were absolutely standing up that never did stand up at the end. They fell out. But I went back to Philadelphia about the second, I think it was the second, after the second week of the season, I think their punter name was Spike Jones. Um, and he had had two punts blocked in the first two games of the season. And essentially, they lost both games. And so I got a call. Dick Vermeil was a coach. And Dick Corey, who had been the receiver coach here, under Ralston, when I played, uh, he called and, uh, asked me if, if I would come back and, and try out with the Eagles. And I thought, wow, this is great that, you know, I'm going to get a chance here. And when I went back and tried out, I, you might remember Ken Eyman, he played for the Packers. He was their special teams coach. And so we went to the vet, went to the stadium and I, I punted for him and he had a stopwatch out and he kept double taking the stopwatch. He's going, Whoa, that, Whoa, that was five, one. Whoa, that was four, nine. No, that was five, two. He goes, wow. You know, we've not had that kind of hang time here ever. And I said, great. You know, so then they had me run mm-hmm. the 40 and I, I was still running four or five in the 40. And, um, so he said, this is great. And so I went back in and met with Coach Corey and um, he said listen, uh, come in tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, I think we uh, we want to get together on getting getting a contract put together and I thought, wow, this is fantastic I called home, said, looks like I got a, a shot next morning, uh, Vermeil says, Billy, Mr. Toast wants to talk to you, he's the owner mm-hmm. and then. Went in and said, um, "Hey Billy, you know, um, you really did good with your times and your punting, but uh, you know, we got a really, really young team. And I got a telex last night from Denver that said you might be a radical and have a, a could have a negative effect on a young team. And so at this point, we're just going to hold off on signing. And the obviously the light went on at that point. Yeah, and it was over. And I had yeah. no no." would have no other chance. So, yeah, it was it was a sad ending, but I had a great I had, listen, I had I thoroughly enjoyed playing in the NFL. I loved Denver. Thoroughly enjoyed being in Denver. I didn't want to leave. And the ironic
1: thing out of it all is uh, they went to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and um you know, you could have and would have been a part of all that and everything, but we only get one shot at whatever it is and uh you know, you're on the hundred the top hundred all time team. You had a great career. You still live here and uh yep. everything's yep. been good, Billy. Really. It
2: is, it is. I'm very blessed. And I've you know, I'm working with my son in the real estate business. We work together and um I'm blessed to have that situation and have met just so many wonderful people here in Denver. Um, you know, we very often run across fans that used to be fans and see my name as a realtor and call up and say, Hey, you know, come on over. We'd like to talk to you about selling our house, things like that. So I am, I am the luckiest
1: guy in the world, Jim,
2: to tell you the truth.
1: I am very well, blessed be being here. Billy, we're lucky to have had you, you know, you, you've always had just a great attitude. Nothing, nothing sours you. Nothing makes you frown. Although I'm sure things do, but that's not how yeah. you meet people. You're always glad to meet everybody. And, uh, it's it's really cool, and uh, all I can say is, you know, we're very proud of you. Thanks again for talking to us on Broncos Country Throwback, and certainly I'd be remiss, even though I didn't make a cake, if I didn't say happy <laughs> birthday once again.
2: Well, thank you, I appreciate it very much, Jim, and appreciate you. And uh, again, thanks to all the people in Denver, they've been great to me, and I'm just extremely blessed. It's been it's been a lot of fun.
1: It's been a lot of fun for us,
2: too. Thank you, Billy Van Heusen. That was Jim
0: Sacramano's conversation with Billy Van Heusen, the former wide receiver and punter for the Denver Broncos. Phil, this this Broncos top 100, I feel like we get to talk to some of these guys that maybe aren't on the, the minds every day of Broncos fans. Yeah, he's definitely the definition of the more you can do. I mean, punting and uh, catching the football what a unique set of skills, and uh, we were lucky enough to chat with Billy uh, on his birthday, so uh, that was kind of cool there too. So, uh, if you enjoyed conversations like this, make sure you subscribe to Broncos Country Throwback. You can find this podcast wherever you download all your favorite podcasts: Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and now on iHeart Radio. And uh, make sure you check out some of the other podcasts on the Broncos podcast network that's the the neutral zone entre amigos and now also the snap so make sure you check those out we'll be back next week uh, with another conversation with a member of the broncos alumni until then for jim Sakamano and eric Dalala, i'm phil Milani. <laughs>